Здравствуйте, дорогие друзья! Hi everyone, thank you for watching this. Tolstoy published The Idiot in 1869. It's considered his most personal novel as it deals with themes and experiences which Tolstoy went through in his own life, namely death penalty, epilepsy, and that deep goodness and innocence that Tolstoy was seeking throughout his life. On a deeper level, Tolstoy wished he was a little bit more naive and innocent. For him, once you are exposed to certain ideas, it's impossible to unsee what you have seen. We often use alcohol, drugs, and often other things to numb that pain of knowing things. The most devastating thing in this novel is the awareness that death is the end of you. Yes, once you die, you go kaput. Nothing remains of you. No soul flies to heaven. Dostoevsky grappled with this idea throughout his life, and he called consciousness as a disease. So the idiot is an attempt to find an antidote to suffering. In this video, I'll summarize the novel that discusses major themes such as religion, death penalty, money, different kinds of love, and finally, Dostoevsky's ultimate message in this novel. So get yourself a cup of coffee and some popcorn. Summary Part 1 The Russian word idiot is the same as the English word idiot. It is a way to insult someone. But Dostoevsky's character is not an idiot, he's innocent. A grown-up child, so to speak. His name is Lev Mishkin, which Lev means lion, also Tolstoy's name, and Mishkin means mouse. So in other words, a lion on the inside and a mouse on the outside. Everyone thinks he's a mouse or idiot, but he's in fact a lion who sees truth nobody else can see. So to set the scene, Dostoevsky uses the train as a starting point where his protagonist, Prince Mishkin, is returning after four years in Switzerland where he's been recovering from epilepsy. As Tolstoy famously said, all great literature is either a stranger goes to town or the hero takes journey. Here we have Mishkin who is returning to Russia after years abroad to meet his distant relative, Lizaveta Prokofievna, the wife of a big dude in St. Petersburg, General Epanchin. Lizaveta is a recycled character in most of Tolstoy's novel who symbolizes a good but often an unlucky woman. This mirrors Tolstoy's own return to St. Petersburg after years of exile in a Siberian labor camp. So instead of some nice Swiss cheese and lots of cows roaming around, all Dostoevsky saw was snow and cold and hard work. Prince Mishkin, however, is called the idiot because he's a very mild-mannered, good-hearted 26-year-old man, almost childlike in his innocence. As if he grew up outside society and some remote mountain among cows and sheep. If he was to return from Siberia, he would have been bitter, resentful and cold. So Dostoevsky knew to make Prince Mishkin work, he had to come from Switzerland, the most neutral country in Europe, where Dostoevsky lived while writing the novel in 1867 and 68. Switzerland never goes to war and that's why they have all the world's money stored in Swiss banks. Very smart. But the idiot Mishkin is broke at the start of the novel. Later he gets a big chunk in inheritance. On the train sitting next to Prince Mishkin, we also meet another important character, Rogozhin, who has inherited a lot of money, therefore he wants to get married. In complete contrast to Mishkin's calm and measured manner, Rogozhin, the son of a rich businessman, is extremely passionate, almost madly in love with the beautiful lady called Nastasia Filipovna. Prince Mishkin represents the old aristocrats, while Rogozhin represents the new business class. This mirrors how Russia was changing at the time. Mishkin is poor while Raguzhin now has a fortune. This chance encounter on the train in the beginning of the novel is mirrored by a horrific scene at the end of the novel where both Mishkin and Raguzhin come together again. Mishkin represents innocence while Raguzhin represents animalistic passion. 
Mishkin doesn't judge your past, so he lives in the present. Mishkin is the nice guy, while Ragushin is the bad boy. Who is in the middle of all this? Nastasia Filipovna is perhaps Dostoevsky's strongest female character in all his novels. She was orphaned as a child, raised by a ruthless aristocrat, Totsky, who wanted to raise her for his own sexual gratification. But she has grown up to be a very clever, socially acute woman who can see through men's intentions. But her superpower is her beauty. Men fall to their knees in her presence. So she has many suitors. But the problem with beauty is that everyone wants you, but only one person can have you. We have a problem here. So the battle commences. First we have Ganya, who wants to marry her. Here's a secret though. Ganya doesn't love Nastasia, but Totsky, Nastasia's guardian, has promised Ganya a lot of money if he agrees to marry her and takes her away from him. Why? Well, Totsky has his eyes on another woman. Also, Nastasia is too clever for him. He wants a more submissive woman. So we are only in the first round. Nastasia Filipovna rejects Ganya, who's humiliated and utterly beaten. Who's next? Ragujin shows up with a huge sum of money to win her over. Prince Mishkin, the total outsider in all this, also raises his hand that he wants to marry Nastasia Filipovna. She looks at him and says, why? Mishkin doesn't talk about his goodness. Instead, he shows his bank balance, that he has received a huge sum in inheritance too. The reason these men talk with their money is that women are practical. They don't look for good men. They look for competent men who can provide for them. Also, now that Mishkin has money, he is no longer an idiot. And everyone wants to be his friends. I wish I had money so I could have some friends. Now, she has a choice to make. Should she go with Mishkin, the good man with money? Or should she go with Ragujin, the bad boy with money? It's a real dilemma that nearly all women face in their lives. The good guy isn't exciting but reliable. The bad boy is unreliable or unpredictable but exciting. As expected, Nastasia seeking excitement chooses Ragujin. Bad boys always win in the first round. Also important to note that Nastasia Filipovna has terrible sexual experience growing up. So those traumas influenced her decision making. The fact that she didn't have parents means she makes bad choices in life. Picking Ragujin is one such choice. Ragujin has won the battle, but not quite. Although he has her, he also thinks her heart is with someone else. Ragujin thinks even though they are together, Nastasia loves Mishkin. In other words, he has her shell, but her inner self is with Mishkin. Ragujin being the bad boy, he is capable of violence, of course. With passion comes jealousy. Mishkin discovers that Ragujin beats Nastasia somewhat regularly. Mishkin here plays the role of the knight who tries to rescue a damsel in distress. But the problem is that he neither has the physical power nor the authority to compete with Ragujin. He's likened to the poor knight, a character in one of Alexander Pushkin's poems. But what's worse, Ragujin even threatens to kill her in his rage. And he also attacks Mishkin with a knife in an attempt to kill him. Here Dostoevsky uses a very clever device to save his protagonist. Just as Ragujin is about to stab him with his knife, Mishkin has an epileptic seizure. Ragujin has no idea what's happening, so he flees like the roadrunner. Having an illness is sometimes handy. Mishkin survives. Meanwhile, Mishkin also has an eye on another woman, Aglaya, the daughter of his relative Lizaveta and Epanchin. Aglaya is also intrigued by Mishkin but has little respect for him, thinking he's really an idiot. Aglaya wishes Mishkin was a bit more confident of himself and to stop being humble all the time. 
Here's an advice for men watching this. Women want you to be confident, so don't show too much humility. Aglaya indirectly tells Mishkin to be more manly and teaches him how to use gun, how to win duel. Here Dostoevsky shows his understanding of how women want to change a man whom they can love. To turn the child like Mishkin into a strong-willed man. Women don't want a grown-up child. They want a strong man who can protect and provide for them. There's a lot of back and forth between the two. Aglaya is conflicted about Mishkin. Her biggest problem that he has no passion and seems too stupid with his innocence. Her parents want them married. Will Dostoevsky turn Mishkin into a passionate man? The saying is that everyone has a passion, but not everyone gets the chance to show it. Okay, it's time Dostoevsky brings some ideological debate into the mix. Perhaps we might see Mishkin in his element. Who knows what Aglaya might think about him then. Meanwhile, Dostoevsky interrupts the main plot by introducing a commonly recycled character in all his novels, an atheist nihilist. He's called Ippolit, who is convinced that religions are nothing but lies and your soul dies with you. He talks about a painting, The Body of the Dead Christ in the Tomb by Hans Holbein, the Younger, in which Jesus is buried and nature is slowly decomposing him. There's nothing one can do to stop the course of nature. No god is powerful enough to stop it. Interestingly, Mishkin doesn't confront him in his ideas, but later on, when it comes to Catholicism, he confronts it head first. This shows Dostoevsky's own inability to really have a good answer against the powerlessness of God in protecting the weak, especially children, against the cruelty of nature. So, since there is no meaning in life, suicide is the only option. Ippolit shoots himself in front of everyone, but despite the fact there is no bullet is fired, he faints like a rabbit in the headlights. Like all Dostoevsky's atheist characters, Ippolit is scared of his own ideas. I wonder if Dostoevsky thought courage was only possible with blind faith, religious, nationalistic, or romantic. In other words, if you believe in something, you are capable of having a real courage. In Crime and Punishment, Raskolnikov develops fever, delirium, and real mental panic after he kills the woman, despite his philosophical justifications for the murders. In Boris Karamazov, Ivan goes mad after realizing that his idea may have influenced the death of his own father. For Dostoevsky, if you are an atheist or nihilist, you are a real coward when it comes to real courage. You talk the talk, but not walk the walk. I have said this many times, for the Russians, courage is the ultimate value for a man. Summary Part 2 So the little Epaulette episode brings the question as why everyone in the West has turned into atheists. Why all of a sudden people look down on Christianity. It's time we see Mishkin show some passion. God damn it. Mishkin, at one point during a dinner party organized by Aglaya's parents, becomes extremely passionate in his attack on Catholicism for its heavy-handedness political rule. He claims that because the Catholics were power-hungry people, they gave Christianity a bad reputation and this caused many people to flee Christianity into the bosom of atheism and nihilism. For Michigan, Catholicism is even worse than atheism for its cruelty. Could. Roman Catholicism is, in my opinion, worse than atheism itself. Yet, that's my opinion. Atheism only preaches a negation. But Romanism goes further. It preaches a disfigured, distorted Christ. It preaches Antichrist. I assure you, I swear it. This is my own personal conviction. It has long distressed me. The Roman Catholic believes that the church on earth cannot stand without universal temporal power. He cries non possumus. 
In my opinion, the Roman Catholic religion is not a faith at all, but simply a continuation of the Roman Empire. And everything is subordinated to this idea, beginning with faith. The Pope has seized territories in an earthly throne and has held them with sword. And so the thing has gone on, only that to the sword they have added lying, intrigue, deceit, fanaticism, superstition, swindling. They've played fast and loose with the most sacred and sincere feelings of men. They have exchanged everything, everything for money, for base earthly power. And is this not the teaching of Antichrist? How could the upshot of all these be other than atheism? Atheism is the child of Roman Catholicism. It proceeded from these Romans themselves. Though perhaps they would not believe it. It grew and fattened on hatred of its parents. It is the progeny of their lies and spiritual feebleness. Atheism. In our country, it's only among the upper classes that you find unbelievers men who have lost the root or the spirit of their faith but abroad whole masses of people are beginning to profess unbelief at first because of the darkness and lies by which they were surrounded but now out of fanaticism out of loathing for the church and christianity this debate is more elaborated in the brothers karamazov's most famous section the grand inquisitor and in which jesus is detained in spain for being too nice you can't rule people with kindness you can only rule people with brute force, which the Catholic Inquisition was all about. Mishkin continues despite making everyone uncomfortable, but he lets it all out. The man for the very first time shows passion in his conviction. He's a Russian man after all. If you had doubt about Dostoevsky, now you should know that he was a true psychologist. Mishkin's passionate outburst has done its job. Soon he finds himself in Aglaya's arms. Now she loves him. She has been desperately waiting to see him with passion. Now Mishkin's outburst against the Catholic Church is not the point. But for Aglaya, the man has passion about something. Now it has ignited Aglaya's own passion. So much so that she attacks Nastasia Flipovna, which shocks Prince Mishkin. We have a lot of drama now, but what comes out of it is a huge shock for everyone. Nastasia Flipovna asks Mishkin to marry her. Why? Well, Mishkin has another woman, Aglaya, which makes him more attractive now for Nastasia. It's all a game, or the tag of romance. The prince agrees to abandon Aglaya, the woman who turned him into a suitable candidate. Instead, he wants to marry Nastasia. Mishkin, what are you doing? Nobody saw that coming. The prince agrees. Nobody saw that coming. Aglaya is devastated, and so is her family. Mishkin tries to explain but nobody listens to him and everyone calls him with his nickname, idiot. Hmm, is he an idiot? We'll find out on the day of his wedding with Nastasia Flipovna. Yes, Mishkin is an idiot of course. Nastasia Flipovna doesn't show up at her wedding, instead runs away with you guessed it, the bad boy Ragujin. The idiot Mishkin continues in his wedding's attire as if nothing has happened. Once he has greeted all the guests, which takes him a whole day, he goes in search of his bride, Nastasia. What an imbecile. By the time he finds her, it's too late. You cannot have a Dostoevsky novel without a good old murder. Mishkin discovers Nastasia's dead body in a pool of blood. Who is the killer? We all know. Ragujin, the bad boy, the man with passion. Mishkin shows no emotion here. Instead of admonishing Ragujin or attacking him or taking revenge, Mishkin says nothing. The two men, rivals, enemies and opposites 
sit together all night to watch over the dead body of the woman they both loved. Dostoevsky, having spent years in the harshest conditions of Siberia for his crime, didn't believe in retribution or revenge or punishment. You cannot undo a deed by punishing the person. In the beginning of the novel, Mishkin also says that he is against death penalty. Quote, I believe that to execute a man for murder is to punish him immeasurably more dreadfully than is equivalent to his crime. A murder by sentence is far more dreadful than a murder committed by a criminal. The man who is attacked by robbers at night, in a dark wood, or anywhere, undoubtedly hopes and hopes that he may yet escape until the very moment of his death. But in the case of an execution, that last hope, having which it is so immeasurably less dreadful to die, is taken away from the wretch and certainly substituted in its place. There is his sentence, and with it, that terrible certainty that he cannot possibly escape death, which I consider must be the most dreadful anguish in the world. This reflects Dostoevsky's own view because he was almost executed by the Tsar in 1849. When facing death, humans cling to a certain beauty, art, religion, or a memory. At one point, Mishkin talks about a man who remembered while waiting for his execution, which is more likely to be Dostoevsky's own memory of his own experience. Could he said that those five minutes seemed to him to be a most interminable period, an enormous wealth of time. He seemed to be living in these minutes so many lives that there was no need as yet to think of that last moment, so that he made several arrangements, dividing up the time into portions. One for saying farewell to his companions, two minutes for that, then a couple more for thinking over his own life and career, all about himself, and another minute for the last look around. While saying goodbye to his friends, he recollected asking one of them some very usual everyday question, and being much interested in the answer. Then having bade farewell, he embarked upon those two minutes which he had allotted to looking into himself. He knew beforehand what he was going to think about. He wished to put it to himself as quickly and clearly as possible that there was he a living, thinking man, and that in three minutes he would be nobody, or if, if somebody or something, then what and where. He thought he would decide his question once for all in these last three minutes. A little way off there stood a church and its gilded spire glittered in the sun. He remembered staring stubbornly at this spire, at the rays of light sparkling from it. He could not tear his eyes from these rays of light. He got the idea that these rays were his new nature, and that in three minutes he would become one of them, amalgamated somehow with them. The world would have been without Dostoevsky's greatest novel if he was executed at such a young age. So Mishkin is devastated but doesn't do anything against Ragusin, which is perhaps the heaviest burden on Ragusin. He wished he was punished for what he did. The Russian state, however, punishes Ragusin by sentencing him to 15 years of hard labor in New Kestet, Siberia. The English used to send theirs to Australia, the Russians send theirs to Siberia to tame the wilderness. Our Russian tragedy is over and Mishkin returns to Switzerland to recover from it all. Russia wasn't ready for a good man like him, just like the Roman Empire wasn't ready for Jesus. Lucky for Mishkin, they didn't crucify him, but they broke his soul. At the beginning of the novel, everyone joked about him being an idiot. By the end, he goes insane to make him the Russian Don Quixote who tried to save Nastasia, but by virtue of his interference, she ended up dead. 
You could say it was botched attempt by an idiot knight to rescue a damsel in distress. Aglaya ends up running away with a Polish man who turns out to be a Catholic. Oh boy. Don't tell Mishkin about that. He hated the Catholics. Is Switzerland a Catholic country? But Mishkin remains inside a sanatorium, so he won't see any churches in the distance. I wonder if Mishkin was there when Thomas Mann wrote his novel The Magic Mountain, also set in a sanatorium in Switzerland. Analysis Death penalty. Dostoevsky makes a clear case against death penalty in this novel through words of Prince Mishkin. Dostoevsky experienced it firsthand before his Siberian exile. Dostoevsky says if someone wants to kill you, there's a slim chance that that person may fail. Just like Rogozhin failed to kill Mishkin with a knife. But when the state executes you, you have zero chance of survival. So the psychological experiences are very different. One is a certain death and the other you have a chance of survival. As animals, we have evolved to believe that we always have a chance of survival. But with the state choosing to kill you, you no longer have that chance. But the worst part of it is the waiting. It is excruciatingly painful the hours, the minutes as you wait your execution. Dostoevsky, who went through the horrifying ordeal himself, says no matter how terrible a crime you may have committed, the state has no right to take your life. Epilepsy. When reading Charles Bukowski, I came across a passage in which he describes how one experiences pain in front of other people. Other things you look stupid when you publicly experience pain. So Dostoevsky tackles the same issue. Epilepsy is a public illness. It exposes you in front of others. It can come at any moment. And it makes you look dumb and idiotic in front of others. With every seizure, you look stupid, so the novel's title also refers to the illness, I think. Prince Mishkin suffers from epilepsy, thus called an idiot. As a child, I witnessed a boy having seizure. I remember my mixed emotion. On the one hand, I felt sorry, but on the other, I felt how stupid he looked. Because I didn't know what he was doing at first. Dostoevsky himself develops epilepsy after his Siberian exile. Many great authors had epilepsy, which must have contributed in their decision to stay indoor and write, instead of going outside in case of an attack. Alcohol. Whether the stereotype that Russians drink a lot is a myth or real, in this novel it's totally true. And nearly every party there are many who are completely wasted and they start to stay things to create chaos. In the absence of religion, alcohol is your best mate to numb your pain. That's why Marx called religion the opiate of the masses, but today it's alcohol or shopping. Alcohol is a bigger problem among the poor in this novel. Those of a higher socioeconomic status drink moderately, but those at the bottom drink like there's no tomorrow. In some cases, unfortunately, there is no tomorrow. Money. Money is pretty central in the novel. From the first scene, money and marriage go hand in hand. Ragujin inherits a lot of money. He chases Nastasia. She weighs men against their money. Mishkin is poor, then rich. Then people follow him like scavengers follow a dead carcass, trying to prove that they are his real cousins or friends. When money goes missing, everyone is a suspect. Without money, forget about marriage and love. It's the same today. If you're a poor man, forget about romance. Love. There are three kinds of love. Ragujin's love is passionate, animalistic, which attracts Nastasia. She chooses him every time for his raw, impulsive passion. Mishkin's love is a bit religious, based on pity. This was Nietzsche's biggest problem with religion, for promoting weak-mindedness. 
Nietzsche might say the reason Nastasia chooses the bad boy Rogozhin is that he represents nature, while Mishkin represents religion that suppresses nature. Mishkin feels sorry for Nastasia, but also wants to marry her. It's confusing. I think Dostoevsky himself wasn't really convinced by Mishkin's stance. Despite being a really innocent man, a woman doesn't love you unless she knows where you stand, unless she respects your position, unless she can understand where your passion is. I guess Dostoevsky was trying to show that religious love is misunderstood by people. Ghania's love is based on getting promoted, he uses love as a social ladder, so he is opportunistic. Ragujin's love is animalistic and natural, Mishkin's love is religious. Dostoevsky doesn't make women in the novel to prove their love for these men. It's only men who are on trial to prove their love. I guess women do the choosing so it's a hard job on itself. They get pregnant and have to live with a man she chooses so it's far greater risk for her than for the man. Religion. Religion is prominent here. Dostoevsky shows that orthodox religion is superior to Catholicism as it stays away from political power. Atheism confronted Dostoevsky throughout his life. He tried to show that religion, despite not being the sharpest tool in the shed, is still relevant for millions of Russians. Despite his religious theme, Dostoevsky doesn't shove it in our throats. There are many nuanced moments when religion has no answer to atheism, like how all the powerful God allows injustice and cruelties towards children. At the end, Jesus-like character Prince Mishkin goes mad because he couldn't even prevent a single murder, which I think he was partially responsible for. If he hadn't declared his love for Nastasia, she and Ragujin might have had a somewhat decent marriage, who knows. But the main message is that no matter how bad you are, you can redeem yourself. Nobody is just evil or just good, we're both. For as long as you live, you have the chance to do great things and terrible things, make mistakes and amend them. Mishkin, aka Dostoevsky, sees goodness in everyone. He doesn't judge people, unless you're a Catholic, of course. Instead of responding to atheist claim, in them he recognizes his own past struggles with the same ideas. But ironically, when it comes to the Catholics, oh boy, he goes on a rant, with so much passion and conviction. I know there's a lot of people who box Dostoevsky as a Christian novelist. I think that is a huge disservice to his brilliant writing. He understood that rationality alone cannot save us, because humans are deeply flawed. So to describe humans as rational is like forcing a square peg into a round hole. Dostoevsky couldn't accept that death was the end of everything. So I say his death was not the end of Dostoevsky, because he created something amazing, and that is art. The idiot is one of them. Dostoevsky says, quote, The important thing is life, life and nothing else. If you don't care about others, people think you're an idiot. A Zen Buddhist monk or an ascetic man might appear like idiots because they don't care about worldly positions or how others think of them. Great wise people tend to appear to us a bit childlike, innocent and even stupid on the outside. Dostoevsky's Prince Mishkin is a man who has remained a child. He sees goodness in people. He doesn't try to show that he's smarter, faster and wiser. If you're happy on the inside, it doesn't matter what other people think about you or calling you an idiot. But here's a problem. At different stages in our lives, we have different goals. When young, we seek partner, a career, worldly success, and more. But later in life, we slow down, appreciate the little things, or seek happiness on the inside. In the East, in the past, people turned to Buddhism at a later stage in their lives because their worldly pursuit didn't make them happy or fulfilled. So the Buddhist philosophy of non-detachment 
allowed people to find peace on the inside. Dostoevsky's Mishkin is only 26 years old, so he's too young for Buddhism, and he's half the age of Don Quixote, who was 50, so he's slightly confused at times. He wants to help people, but as a result, he causes more problems. He's neither detached from nor attached to other people and his own worldly desires. He wants to marry two women, but also tries to say he's not interested in them for sex or lust. His mixed signals result in one woman getting killed and the other very unhappy. He fits the stereotype of a nice man. You know the saying, the nice man finish last. But Dostoevsky's message is that one should not worry about how others judge you. As long as the core inside you makes you happy and fulfilled, other people's opinions about you should not matter. Even if everyone thinks you're an idiot, nothing can penetrate you if you have peace on the inside. Dostoevsky goes even further. If you find peace on the inside, the outside world is irrelevant. I'll leave you with this quote. I used to watch a line where earth and sky met and longed to go and seek there the key of all mysteries, thinking that I might find there a new life, perhaps some great city where life should be grander and richer. And then it struck me that life may be grand enough even in a prison. Спасибо большое. Thank you for watching.